Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Hornsby, and I am here with my special guest, Christine of CallMeWatson.com, who also happens to be my girlfriend. How are you doing? Good. So today we're just going to talk about a couple money decisions that we made recently. We're going to see what we can learn for the studio audience from what we went through, because we had some pretty interesting experiences, didn't we? I wasn't aware that there was an audience in the studio, but yes, we did have some very interesting experiences. Yes. For those of you that don't know, we're in the middle of a big relocation right now. We are in the beautiful city of St. Louis. Yay! Christine <laughs> finally got a new job as an attending doctor uh, at WashU. Or as people like to say, a real doctor. Yes. She finally has an adult income, but she also has adult, adult problems. <laughs> adult student loan payments and has to buy a car and stuff like that. So we thought it'd be kind of fun to talk through some of the financial decisions that we made recently so you guys could maybe learn from our mistakes and our successes. First question I'd like to ask you, Christine, is what kind of car did you need for work and what were your thoughts going into that purchase? I needed a car that would bring me to four different places and a car that I could drive in the sun and the sleet and the snow because apparently St. Louis has seasons. But beyond that, I really didn't have too many thoughts because generally cars are not things that girls really care about too much unless, you know, you want a sporty little convertible or something to... Like a mini coupe? Yeah, to, you know, play with your friends and sing loud... How, while the roof is down or something. <laughs> how much did you expect to spend on a car? I wasn't quite sure about that. I just wanted a reliable car that would not have pro- many problems that I wouldn't have to continue to fix over and over. And how, how much money did we have to spend on the car? <laughs> Less than what is in our savings accounts. <laughs> because that would be bad if we didn't have any money. Because currently, until I start work, I don't get a paycheck. So we were basically dealing with a budget of under $8,000. We were trying to find a car for under that, basically the most reliable, best deal that we could find. So the the first opportunity that we came across, can you tell our readers about the, uh, the Scion that we drove, Mr. Money Mustache's favorite car? Well, first, we did all of our car shopping on Craigslist. <laughs> so that was an interesting experience, trying to sort the real offers from the fake offers and the completely unreasonable offers. Um, we found this car that Travis really, really wanted because he's a huge fan of Mr. Money Mustache and must do everything that Mr. Money Mustache tells him to do, including having a mustache and also buying apparently a Scion XA, yeah, a 2006 one, I think, which yeah. this one also happened to be 2006. So basically he thought it was like a godsend from Mr. MMM himself. So I'm looking at this Scion. It's very roomy. It's a hatchback, and it has 120,000 miles on it, which is not a ton of miles. It's only $3,500. It seems like a great vehicle. But then we test drive it, and what happened? So things that apparently you're supposed to do, which I had no idea because I've this is my first car, actually. So the things you're supposed to do when you look at a car are to, like, pop the lid. Who knew that? Pop the hood? Hood. And you look at the oil levels and whether the oil is good or not. Or, you know, you look at the state of the engine. You look at, you know, whether there are cobwebs and spiders hanging out inside. And clearly this car didn't look so great. Um, It looked old and not well taken care of. Um, Inside, you know, it was okay. It was, there was some cat hair all over the place. So one thing, if you're trying to sell your car, probably maybe take it for a cleaning before 
you you try to solve it. But we're well, still okay with that, right? I mean, if it's I mean, minor cosmetic yeah, problems. Yeah, so minor cosmetic problems are okay, apparently, because they allow you to negotiate a better price. And quite frankly, you know, I wasn't looking for a beautiful car. If I did, then I wouldn't be looking for a car under $8,000. So <laughs> I was fine with that. But when we were driving it, when we were at stop signs, and if we turned down the air and everything just to listen to the engine or the car, there's really a faint rattling, which can you, I guess anything can you that's rattling. that rattling? And the car would, uh, the car would shake. Let's yeah, see. and apparently it shook so much that his hand was still shaking after, like he drank a ton of coffee. And to be honest, even that shaking didn't bother us too bad. Yeah. What happened is, can you tell him about when we decided to take it to our mechanic and get it inspected for 30 bucks? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, also when you're driving it, it didn't feel like a very sturdy car. But yeah, so we took it to a mechanic who um, apparently, you know, one of the number one tenants of getting a car should be find a trustworthy and good mechanic. You know, he did a very thorough inspection for a really good price. There are a couple things that are wrong that, to the point where it probably wouldn't pass a safety inspection if we were to have the car checked right away. So that's probably one thing to look for as well. Do you remember how much the repairs were to, in total that it needed? Like 400, 500, yeah, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So we decided that that was just too much wrong for a $3,500 car, and we decided to pass on that one. So, well, we were, thought about maybe negotiating the price, yeah. and then we tried to we tried to build in the price of the repairs into the vehicle. So we offered three thousand, and she felt like she could get more than that, so she rejected our offer. Which is fair. Yeah, and the next one we went we went all the way down to South St. Louis for in a pretty sketchy car dealership. Can you talk about that for our listeners? Well, it also had a name. When something is excellent, if you spell it with an X. That already is a warning sign, I think. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, that wasn't exactly the name of the auto store. You know, the, the dealers were nice and not super pushy. It was a Honda Fit. Actually, kind of nice. I kind of like the hatchback thing, but drove really well. It felt very secure. We brought it to the mechanic again, and he thought that was pretty good overall. All it required was a minor. transmission fluid change for right. 80 bucks, Which is really fantastic, and it was a 2010, I think, Honda Fit, and still under our budget. Yeah. The unfortunate thing is that the deal fell through. And um, how did that happen? <laughs> Why don't you tell that story? Well, the, the dealer basically agreed to me in, in a written text message that we had a deal, and the deal would close on Tuesday, and this was a Saturday, I believe, uh, or Friday night that we were negotiating mm -hmm. this. And he texts me back the next morning saying, Sorry, we sold the car at list in cash. Have a nice day. In other words, he broke his written text message. And it was very disappointing, so we decided to leave him a bad review on Google. We felt like that was unprofessional to break your word after you had a written, con you know, a written agreement. It wasn't a contract, but it was a written agreement. And if you wanted to do that to earn an extra seven hundred bucks, so be it. How much legality is involved in a text message promise? Just out of curiosity. Probably none from a legal perspective. Yeah. However, it is a written word, and it is a written document that you agree yeah. to a deal. And, you know, he wasted our time, so I felt like it was well, I think the main thing deal. also is that he could have, you know, called and been like, uh, someone came and offered it at list price. Would you be willing to offer the same? Exactly. So, finally, what did we end up doing? We kept looking on Craigslist and texting random people. And <laughs> because we're in Missouri right now, but Travis has um, a Florida number, the guy that we had texted about a Honda Civic, 2000. Four? Four, yeah. Yeah, I mean, old car, but, you know, Hondas are good. 
Honda Civics are good. Initially thought he was a you know spammer or some you know creepy person, creepy Craigslist creeper. Um, but um, when we texted again, uh, he was interested in selling this car and willing to negotiate the price with us. It was listed for about three thousand. Yeah. Right? And we negotiated about twenty two hundred. Ran fine. He drove it to where we were, and clearly, you know, hadn't died on the way. So I think that's promising. Honda Civics seem like pretty sturdy, good cars. And when we were driving it, there were definitely some creaks. And apparently, someone had run into the back door with a scooter, <laughs> which was reported on Carfax, interestingly enough. But well, autocheck.com. Oh, autocheck.com. I'm sorry. The cheaper version. Yes, the, the cheaper version, version. <laughs> of Carfax. And if they're listening and they have an affiliate link, we would love to get it because we're giving you free publicity right now. Yeah. Yeah. Autocheck.com. Yeah. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about the cardinal rule that we broke when we needed to get the car inspected because we didn't have time? So we let him take it to his, I want to say dealer, but it's not right. So his mechanic. His mechanic, which is one of the things that if you really wanted a car to be checked out, you probably shouldn't do. Should never do that. Uh, should never do. Except However, we he did. Like a, yeah, and he seemed like a trustworthy guy. But um, that's not the reason why we ended up doing it, right? So the, the main reason, I think, was because of the safety check. Can you talk a little bit about that? In St. Louis, in order to get your car titled and registered, you need a safety and emission inspection that's been passed within the last 30, 60 days. 60 days. Something like that. This guy was very willing to get it checked out by the mechanic for both mechanical issues as well as um, get the safety emission checked out for us. And he even said that if anything was wrong and it wasn't, anything crazy, he would also repair it and throw it in. In fact, he did actually throw in a pair of new spark plugs for us. Which is huge. Which is huge. And are there some issues with the car? Yeah, you know, I think that we have to get, we should eventually get the brake pads checked again, but it passed safety and emission, and for that price, we really didn't think we could uh, give it up, and I really needed the car. Yeah, so we ended up getting the car for how much? We got the car for 2200 Yeah. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. It's and incredible. it runs. It's like a chunk of metal with gears and plastic and everything. It's a pretty good deal for twenty two hundred, and it and it works well. We are definitely probably in the market for a little bit newer car at some point. So if anyone has a good car, you know, Scion two thousand six, Mazda three, Hyundai Sonata, Honda Civic, Toyota Camry, and wants to give it to us for you know less than seven thousand, feel free to contact. Travis at MillennialMoolah.com. <laughs> Again, that's Travis at MillennialMoolah.com. I think we preferred the Hyundai Sonata 2011 with about 120,000 miles for 6,000. Sure, sure. And also, just as a fact, if you ever want to move to St. Louis and fit in, basically everyone has a Hyundai Sonata. So it's a good choice in vehicle. Also, everyone has some kind of damage to their car. Yeah. Every third car. So just, you know, another thing. If, in case you want to be a St. Louisian or whatever. <laughs> the the best part about being in a city with lots of damaged vehicles is if you drive a damaged vehicle, then you don't have to worry about anything. Yeah, and you fit in. You're not an outsider. So You're one of them. Real quick, so we talked a lot about cars. How about we talk real quick about your apartment that we helped negotiate? Sure. So, I mean, the number one thing I think I learned from that is everything is negotiable. So even if something is listed at... $800 a month or, or something like that. You can always talk down the price. I mean, I think you have to always offer something in return, like, you know, I'll sign a longer lease or 
I don't know. What else can you offer people? Well, the way we negotiated it was that we would get a discount for paying on the first of every month. Yes, the auto pay. Yeah. And the biggest concern their rent, our landlord has is getting paid on time, right? So that's yeah, worth absolutely. quite a bit to them to get paid on time. And also, for marketing purposes, they can tell the future tenants that the rent was seven fifty a month instead of what we're paying, which is six seventy five. Yeah. So I think that for them, it, it makes sense, too, because they get to advertise a higher rental rate so it doesn't look like a huge rental increase. Yeah, that's that's definitely key. Other things that we were looking for was, you know, being in a safe neighborhood, of course. You know, being in a place where there could be street parking, which we ended up getting as well. The Midwest is so much better for parking than the Northeast. Just, it's great. <laughs> can you talk a little bit about what kind of things you can get a landlord to throw in, including included in the rent? I'm sure you could ask for utilities. We ended up getting how much? Well, I think they advertised it as included, but certainly um, I think all I'm paying for is electricity. So they do gas, water, sewer. sewer. The other thing that was really Trash. good is that um, the heater is actually run by the gas. So, it's the so I don't actually, so when it's cold in the winter, I don't actually have to pay for that bill. All that I have to pay for is, you know, AC in the summer, which is probably costly because I keep everything at a freezing temperature. I'm previously Canadian, so. So could you talk? But it's worth it. Could you talk a little bit about the negative impact I've had on the enjoyment of money for you since we've been dating for this past year and a half? <laughs> well, I'm living in a studio apartment instead of, what, a penthouse for like $1,600 a month in St. Louis or something? Well, it's not quite okay, that. Not but... a penthouse, but I think we saw like a three-bedroom, two-bath apartment for like 1600 in this like luxury apartment. You were like... No, we could have lived there. And I was like, this is all your fault because you want the rent to be cheap. But quite honestly, it's you really free up a lot of your budget when your rent's cheap. Because when I was in Philadelphia, my rent was probably triple what it is now or a little less than triple. And it did actually limit the ability for me to pay back my loans or you know have savings because it was quite expensive. Yeah. Can you talk about one financial question that you're dealing with right now and what you're thinking about, what what kind of stuff you're having to think about. I assume that the first thing you're talking about is just um, dealing with med school debt. So I have a lot of it, just like a lot of people who come out of med school do. I think the average probably is 200000 or something. I'm not quite that much, but it's still up there. Um, so it's been really helpful to have a financial loan consultant <laughs> person to, to help out with... Um, navigating through the different options. And in fact, if you're interested, he has a free calculator on his website to help you try to figure out what are the options for you, whether you can get forgiveness, whether private loan refinancing is an option for you. So so that was one thing that I had to deal with. Now, also, the increase in my income, because I went from hospital slave to hospital minion, and that comes with some increase in income. So I know with a lot of doctors, when you finally get money, you're tempted to kind of just finally enjoy your lifestyle and treat yourself for all those years that you've been working so hard. And I think that's it's very tempting and sometimes hard to overlook when you're a doctor. Can you talk a little bit about your health care decision that you have to make with your benefits at work and talk about the different choices that you have to make for our listeners? So I am trying to decide between 
I guess, a high deductible plan and no or low deductible plan. I've never been on a high deductible plan in my life. I hear all these problems about people who are on high deductibles and they can't see their doctors or they have to eke out as much money as they can to see a specialist or there's an emergency and then all of a sudden they can't pay for what they need. So that's concerning to me. I mean, as a doctor, I think it's really important that everyone go to preventive care, which is actually paid for by most health insurance plans. I also think that if you need to go see a doctor, it's better to go early than later because as things progress, it could get worse. And in fact, reading up on high deductible plans, one of the problems is that people are afraid to go see the doctor because they have to pay out of pocket initially. So that causes people to wait until things are much worse before they visit. That's possible. I think as a broad policy goal, I think society has to wrestle with the fact that 63% of Americans don't have $1,000 to come up with in an emergency. That's a major problem. And with the proliferation of high deductible plans we're seeing through the Affordable Care Act, if you are a poor family or if you're even a middle class family and you're one of the 63% of people that doesn't have this emergency savings, how can you meet your deductible if something happens to your family? I think generally for our listeners, I think health, high deductible health plans are always the better option for anybody below 40. However, you have to pair that with lots and lots of savings. And if you don't have those savings, then that's when you can have severe problems. Yeah, and if you have chronic diseases or like a lot of medical problems, that, or if you're pregnant or planning to get pregnant, it's probably not the best thing to be on high deductible plans. You want to be able to go see your doctor whenever you need it and have the things that you need when you do. However, of course, you can switch generally for most employer plans once a year. If you were trying to take maximum advantage of your health benefits at work, one strategy that people could use is being on a high deductible plan while you're not planning to have children or you don't have major needs. And then when you start deciding, okay, we want to have a family this year or we're, you know you're going to have children, you're going to have a major surgery, you can actually go ahead and switch over to the higher insurance level for that time period. It's one of the great benefits that people don't use enough mm-hmm. having employer um, insurance. I just also think that whatever your health plan is, just take advantage of your preventative care. Go once a year to see your primary care doctor. You know, if you're a woman, you know, get your mammograms, that your get your GYN exams. I'm a I'm a GYN doctor, so I feel like I need to push this out there. And guys, this is an incredible value for millennial moolah podcast listeners because you're basically getting a free GYN consult out there if you're female. <laughs> and then if you have female friends, which most of us do, make sure that they know because she just gave you two hundred dollars. Right. Free if you advice. have any medical questions email Travis at millennialmoolah.com and he'll forward it to me. Oh, please, please do not give... (laughs) Pictures are very welcome. No, please do not give any personal information. Christine is a urogynecologist, which means that she gets to deal with the very real problems of the intestines for uh, older older women, the things that come out of the intestines. No, it's not not that, no. See, I don't even know what I'm talking about. All I know is We've been dating for how long and you don't know? Uh, All I know is that there's some pretty shocking photos sometimes that she receives from patients, and I just know to never, ever look at her phone because what you have seen, maybe you cannot unsee. When you were growing up, what was money like for you? Money, uh, well, I didn't come from a rich family, and, you know, my parents would always talk about how, especially when I was a baby, go out to uh, McDonald's on Sundays because they had, like, dollar meal specials, or we were very frugal. Um, We lived in the middle of Canada, too, so it's probably a little easier to be frugal. But certainly my parents didn't spare any expenses as far as my education growing up. At some point in time, I went to, you know, a a private middle school, 
where they allowed me to, you know, skip grades and learn at a faster rate than I think a public school would. I did ballet lessons, music lessons, like any good Asian girl. <laughs> Just kidding. I got to do, you know, camps, science camps, and all the things that I wanted to do, even if we were, you know, more frugal on the food or the, the clothing or, you know, any other thing that we had to do in life. We moved to the States, and, you know, money was never something we talked about too much. You know, certainly I think my dad was stressed out about it from time to time, but we still, you know, lived in a good area so I could go to a good public school. I got to do all the things I wanted to. I went to college. I had to take out loans, of course, but my parents would help me out with loans from time to time. I never felt deprived of anything. One thing that I think that you did that's really incredible from a financial decision perspective is you decided to do a two-year undergrad followed by a four-year medical program. So you probably saved what, how much, $50,000 maybe on your total education loans from doing that, would you say? Yeah, something like that. So there are six or seven year programs for medicine. Uh, it's called like accelerated medical problems where you, programs where you do two years of undergrad and then two years of your med school count as your undergrad. I would say that you should probably only do that if you really are sure that you want to be in medicine. I wouldn't do it if it's just for financial reasons, sure. but it, it does help you with some some financial. It costs. certainly helped you getting to a higher point in your career faster and younger. That's true. Right? Yeah, but again, you have to be very sure that you want to go into medicine. Sure. I would say at any time, even considering med school, unless you're very passionate about it and you're not doing it for the money, because there is no money in medicine anymore unless you're like dermatologist. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> so, you know, I would only go into medicine if you're really passionate about it because the time it takes to get to where you want to be and to earn an income that's fairly decent and stable, if, if that's the only goal for you, you're not going to make it. Just a couple announcements on my end. If you go on millenniumoolah.com, you can find that free student calculator that Christine so graciously mentions. Thank Yay. you. <laughs> and you can use that to determine the best refinancing program for your situation. So I really would encourage you to go on that. It's a free resource. And feel free to give us feedback on the show. If you'd like to hear other things talked about, any suggestions for guests, my goal is to make this, instead of having experts on the show, to just have real people and talk about real-life financial questions and any random silly questions, too. So reach out at Travis at MillennialMoolah.com. I want to thank Christine so much for being my second-ever guest on PodCash. So thank you, Christine. You're welcome. Hope to have you back again soon. That would be great. I would love it. And also, if you would like to learn about travel or medicine and any other related subjects, you should visit callmewatson.com. That's Christine's blog, and it's much better written than mine. The only problem, she works 60 hours a week, and I do not. <laughs> <laughs> Someday. Maybe we can talk about early retirement in another episode. Exactly. So thanks for listening, and peace out. Bye.